Pastor Keith and I have a mutual friend, and he told me, um, he said, listen, if you're going to be in Nashville, you should check out this church. You know, he's a friend of mine, you know, no pressure to go, but whatever. And we came here, and there was no expectation. You know, I, again, I've been in a lot of churches, and yes, we want people to serve. We want people to jump in. But it wasn't a prerequisite to being loved and cared for in this place, because when we got here, we were pretty beat up. You know, there were a lot of things going on in our lives that were, were difficult. And then the fact that, that all of a sudden we're torn out of this place that we love and where we work and there's stuff going on, we land here and the people of God were, were kind and generous and hospitable with us. And it, isn't that a picture of Jesus, though? Jesus wants us to go out, right? We have the Great Commission, and that's, that's part of us being transformed and renewed and moved into something else. But there's no prerequisite. Jesus just says, come, I'm here. Get what you need, I'm here, I'll take care of you. And you guys were part of Jesus loving on us when we first got back, and so thank you for doing that. And so it's an honor to be able to come up here and share, and hopefully I won't get into heresy or anything like that, and, and you know, we can go ahead and turn the recording off now. Uh, anyway. So, um, but back to Europe, you know, there's, there's a number, of, and I promise I'm going to get to the actual sermon, um, but I, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I was a teacher for a while, but I like telling stories, I like, I like sharing like that, so if I get off in some sort of crazy stream of consciousness, somebody just, my wife will sometimes go like that, like shoot the rabbit, because I'm off on a rabbit trail, um, so any of you is welcome to go like that, and then I'll know, it's like, okay, bring it back. Um, but anyway, so in Europe, you know, you hear everybody's an atheist, nobody cares, they've all heard, da 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 So I came out of a, I was an atheist for, uh, until my late 20s. I would vacillate between being an atheist and agnostic. And I, I understand kind of where some of that comes from. So, you know, I have a deep heart of compassion for a lot of Europeans who, you know, I, I understand. They have legitimate gripes with the church. They have, they have good questions about God. But in 2015, we also saw this, this strange flood of people come in that it ended up being the largest migration of people in Europe since World War II. There were 1.2 million people came out of places like Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, these places, and they were 10 minutes from my apartment. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of, whoa, we've spent a lot of blood and treasure getting into these places, and they're right in front of me. And, and Heather and I have done some work in Afghanistan, and, and so, you know, I would see these people, and I'm like, what are you doing here? What are you doing in Budapest? Um, so fast forward, you know, <laughs> I have a friend in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and there were a number, we worked in refugee camps, long story short, we worked in some refugee camps in the Balkans and in Hungary and some other areas. And I have a, I have a good friend in Bosnia-Herzegovina, he's in a place called Mostar. And he, he told me one day, he, it was his day off, he gets a call from this, this Czech girl that we're sharing with. And my friend is like, no. It's my day off. I don't want to get mixed up with any of this stuff. This is a big burden. I got enough problems with my own church. But his wife and God wouldn't leave him alone about it, right? You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit works through our wives and our husbands, but neither one of them would leave him alone. And so he ends up going down there. He spends six hours there, and it's, it's a group of Persians or, or Iranians. Some of them have just come to faith. Some of them are about to come to faith. And they're like, we need some help here. Can you help us? And he's like, I can't give you any material help. I can't, I can't do any of that. They're like, no, 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 no. Those of us that have just become believers and have been believers for a while in Iran, we'd like to be baptized. 
Will you baptize us? Because that's what the Bible tells us. And we want to share with the world who we are now. And we've come out of this place where we couldn't do that and we can do it now. Will you do it? And he's like, well, of course I'll do that. You know, that's an amazing opportunity. So I wanted to share, there's a picture here. Uh, they found them some white shirts, a few white robes, and they took them down to the river and they baptized them, right? These are people who were coming out of a place where they couldn't share that publicly, where, they, where to be a believer in some of those areas is really tough, where they don't hear the gospel a lot of times. And here's this beautiful picture of you know, this terrible thing that's happening that's pushing these people out of, out of these countries. They're coming, they're walking right in front of us, and we have the opportunity to share the greatest story ever told, right? And then some of them respond. Now, I'm not going to paint a picture of like everybody responds. No, but some do. And this is beautiful. This is glorious. This makes my heart happy. And that's not what you're going to hear on the news about Europe and what's happening with migration crisis and all that kind of stuff. You know, wherever you are on the political spectrum about that, you're right and you're wrong, I promise you. I used to tell my friends, you know, when I'd work in these camps, it's like, whatever you see on Fox is true, whatever you see on MSNBC is true, because there's a lot of grandmothers and little babies, and there's a lot of bad guys, and they're all there together, right? So there's not, whatever narrative you want to believe, the, the evidence is there, but the truth is in the middle, okay? So anyway, wow, okay, I got to hurry up with my sermon. All right, so uh, uh, let's see. Now, let's get back to the sermon. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Um, all right, so let's look at, uh, if you'll put the next slide up for me, that'd be great. So Kate was reading that, that, that passage out of Isaiah 9. And when we look at this scripture of, um, the verse six is the one that we've been concentrating on here. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, I've seen wonderful comma counselor sometimes too. Mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. So wonderful counselor, check. Understand it, right? Mighty God, I got it. Jesus, mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, no problem there. Everlasting father, Jesus. I mean, again, I'm not a theologian, but Isaiah, you know, it's not, it's not a stretch to say, hey, here's a picture of the Trinity, right? We've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the Father, we've got the Son, all wrapped up three in one mighty God, right? This is, I don't think that's an overstretch. Again, I'll, I'll listen to rebukes later on if, if any of you have them. Um, or please don't do that now. That's kind of, I'm fragile. <laughs> uh, anyway, so to look at this though, of like mighty, or, or everlasting Father, it doesn't seem like it fits, because the Father is the first person of the Trinity. Again, I can see Jesus as, as counselor. I mean, he's a teacher, right? He shares all the time, that, that kind of stuff. But to see Jesus as Father, it's like, no, 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 Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. So this is not an especially easy topic to tackle. And, and, and again, as a visiting speaker, I'm probably not going to dissect the Trinity with you today because Pastor Keith might be like, hey, uh, let's go easy, Tiger. Um, but when we look at this idea of everlasting father, yes, you know, when, if, if we go to uh, Colossians 1, uh, Colossians 1.15, in, in July, this is what I, I spoke on, where it says, you know, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
okay? So again, we're seeing the Trinity in the person of Jesus. If you wanna know what God looks like, you look at Jesus, because we do see the Father. We do see the Spirit. We do see the Son. This, this kind of more challenging, intellectually challenging idea of the Godhead three in one, but somehow it makes sense in our, in our hearts, or at least it does in mine. So when we look at it that way, it's like, okay, I feel a little more comfortable about seeing the expression of the Father in Jesus, but when we say a name of everlasting Father as Jesus' name, how do, we, how do we do that? So in reading about this and preparing for this and kind of even just asking God, what do you mean by this, Lord, everlasting Father? So I was a history teacher, and I'm gonna try not to nerd out on you because I can do that very quickly. And I can go off into all sorts of stuff, and, and again, Heather would be like... Um, but when we look at history, the idea of a father can translate to king, right? And when we think about a king, doesn't a king have the role of a father for his people? A father for his nation? I mean, again, we're not talking about good kings or bad kings. This is part of his role is as a covering, as the one who watches over, who takes care of, protects, all of those type things. Let me make sure I'm, I'm staying in line with my notes. So let's look at the, the, the next two scriptures here out of Colossians that follow up with that, if you'll go to the next slide for me. Uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, uh, all things were created by him and for him. Yeah, through, I'm sorry, through him and for him. Right? I was doing what you're not supposed to do, looking back at the slide so you see the back of my head, right? which I don't like people looking at the back of my head. Come on, that's funny. Help me out here. Man, I feel like I'm dying up here. My jokes are just like people are like, ah. At least, again, I'm fragile. Okay, help me out. All right, so anyway. But again, the, the scripture, we're, we're seeing the royalty here. We're seeing the power here. We're seeing this concept of king and kingdom here. Okay? I mean, so it sounds like there's a good bit of authority here. And there's, there is this seamless idea of the Trinity wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Yeah, so for one more scripture for good measure, let's, uh, it's Daniel 7, 14. And, and this is where uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna really take off here. How much time do I have left? <laughs> Let's see. All right, I'll read it from mine. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So there are a couple of things that I want you to notice in this. And you, you have this word everlasting. Again, we just saw it in Everlasting Father, but everlasting dominion, right? And then we've got shall not pass away or shall not be destroyed. So there are two words that I want you to take out of this, this, this particular passage that are gonna be a thread through what I'm, what I'm gonna share uh, the, rest of the, the rest of our time together. Permanent and consistent. So at lunch today, if you're, gonna, if you're about to check out and so at lunch today, your husband or wife asks you, hey, what, tell me about what did you get out of the sermon? Just remember those two words, okay? It'll be good. But I would encourage you to still listen. Come on, <laughs> man. Is, is it just 
that it's Sunday morning? I don't know. Because I'm good. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I appreciate whoever gave the hearty laugh back there. That made, that made me feel good. All right. All right, so we've got, we've got these allusions to kings and kingdoms right there. But how do everlasting father and king fit together here? You know, it says, you know, there, there are lots of biblical examples showing Jesus as king, right? Uh, we can look at a, a, a number of different things here. Um, but let's look at one that illustrates him as king in the past, in the biblical past, in the biblical present in Jesus' day, and then in the days to come in the future. So the first is, is Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so, I mean, I think that's pretty spot on, right? Because we see that later on with Jesus. I mean, that's not... That's not a hard leap there. Let's look at the, the biblical present, though, of Jesus' day in Luke 1, uh, verse 30 through 33. And this is, this is appropriate for our season of the year, too. Uh, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will not end. Again, permanent and consistent. And then in the future, let's look at Revelation uh, seventeen fourteen. Yeah, seventeen fourteen. Um, these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him and are called and are chosen and faithful. So again, it names him. King of kings, Lord of lords. So again, what I'm trying to do here is establish this connection as Jesus is king. But when we look at the ancients and we look at the medieval period and we look at the early modern period, this concept of king, father is wrapped in that. So again, when we go back to Isaiah, uh, go back to Isaiah 9 here, this is not a stretch to say the concept of father and king are intertwined. So again, this idea begins to make sense, at least to me, right? Hopefully to you. Hopefully I'm helping, helping you and not confusing you any further. Um, let's see here. Where am I? There we go. But as Americans, sometimes we struggle with this concept of king, right? We, we fought a war because we didn't want a king. Right? We, we rebelled. We said, no, 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 this isn't what we want. But we also, as, as human beings, we all have a desire at best, at worst, a willingness to be led. Right? We want to be covered. You know, you ever been in a room where um, just nobody's in charge and you're just like, what's going on here? Right, this is a rat's nest, and then somebody steps up. You may not know that person from Adam, and they step up and they take charge, and, and you begin to follow. Right, this is part of human nature, right, for good and for bad. But as Americans, we're ah, 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 we won't have a king, right? But what do we do? We come up with a system of government that's one of the 
one of the best in the world, right? But we have a president. We have different, different leaders over us, correct? We have founding fathers. These guys weren't necessarily that much older than I am, and I'm a spring chicken, right? And some of them, some of them were even younger. Don't let the grave fool you. Right? I'm a young man. See, now you're getting it. Even that one was a little nervous. Um, so, but we could, you know, <laughs> but our system of government has a, a pretty, pretty easy way of transition as, as these things kind of go, right? There's usually not any violence. Or, I mean, it's usually just word violence type things. But, but, you know, in the past, when you have the transition of kings and queens and emperors and empresses, this has not always been super uh, peaceful, right? So here's, here's where I'm going with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show, I'm going to outline a few, a couple of kings from history, and we're going to talk about how the, the concept of a, of a king and a father in an earthly sense is, is, is a shadow of the king that we serve. Okay, I just kind of gave it away. There. I gave the ending away there. Um, but if we look at, at Israel's, Israel um, in 1 Samuel, I'm not going to read the passage. There's, it's, a, it's a longer passage where you know, they've been led by elders. They've been led by, they have leaders, right? But they come to Samuel and say, we need a king. Samuel's like, why do, we, why do we need a king? I think it seems like everything's going okay. But they're like, no, 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 no. Everybody else has a king. We should have a king. I mean, how many times do we do that? Of like, we're perfectly fine in our lives and then we see our neighbor has some gadget and we're like, I gotta have it. My life is incomplete until I get this thing. I remember going to the Piats in, in Budapest and, and there's um, this vegetable and, and fruit stand and there's another vegetable and fruit stand that has exactly the same thing and everybody would be lined up at this one and nobody's at this one. And I'm like, where do I go? And I went to that one. Because that's where everybody else is. And once I was in a hurry and I went to the other guy and his oranges, just the same, right? But everybody's over at this guy's. And so this is what Israel's doing, saying, we gotta have a king. And so Samuel goes to God and God says, give them what they want. Give them what they want. But didn't they already have what they needed? Right? Because a king is supposed to cover you. <laughs> provide for you, to protect you. He's the one who says, it's okay. This is home. This is, this is, this is a godly king doing this, right? But they said, no, 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 no. We, we want this other version over here, like everybody else. And it ends up having some consequences that are not super great, right? So let's fast forward to David. Um, He's Israel's greatest king. You know, if we, if we look at the life of David, David, while he is a king, he's also an everyman, right? We can, we can see ourselves in David, right? David is incredibly flawed and broken. You know, David, David's emotional. He gets up and down. David has a temper, right? I mean, David screws up in parenting, Right? He doesn't do so great. But he's still God's anointed. He's the king, right? He's come out of this line, right? There's a line of kings now that are established now with David. And, 
And so we begin to see this picture of a man after God's own heart, but he's still a man. So remember those two words, permanent and consistent? Can you apply that to David? As good a king as he was? No. I mean, look, look at how inconsistent his behavior is, his character. I mean, he had some deep flaws and some really, really bad mistakes, right? But how many of us have not done that, right? But none of us are king. None of us are king. None of us are responsible for our people. But David was a father to his nation, was a father to these people, but he was impermanent because David died. And then what comes after David, right? We see up and down, side to side, all sorts of variants, right? Uh, I mean, there are other lesser kings that come from his line, and king to king, up and down. But there's one, uh, almost like this uh, Forrest Gump, right? It's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get with the next king. You know, again, being a history nerd, Heather, Heather's a bit of a nerd too. We were listening to a podcast on the origins of World War One. I. I mean, that is a hot date night. Um, <laughs> I, I can send it to anybody, just let me know. Uh, but, you know, when you have Kaiser Wilhelm II and you have Tsar Nicholas, or Kaiser Wilhelm and, and, and the Tsar Nicholas II, you, these guys are super mediocre leaders that come out of a line, and anybody, if they had even been an above average leader, World War I might have been averted. 20 million people. And then you don't have a World War II without a World War I, right? And so, again, these guys were part of this line that they succeeded, a greater or lesser man, supposed to be the father of their people, but weren't, right? They failed because they're human. They're impermanent and inconsistent. So let's fast forward, and, and again, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna Nerd out here. I'm not seeing the time up there. Can, can you somebody tell me how much I have? I don't want to go over. I got 15 minutes? Great. Sweet. I was telling the, the, the team earlier today, my Hungarian friends, when I preach, they're like, your sermons are too short and your dinner prayers are too long. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to try to keep it uh, not, not too long, not too short. Okay. So there's a guy named Charlemagne. All right, anybody, anybody heard of Charlemagne? Any history nerds out there with me? Okay, so Charles the Great, Charles Magnus, right? Charlemagne's a pretty remarkable guy, right? Charlemagne, uh, just, just a quick context. You know, you've heard of the Dark Ages, right? So Charlemagne, Charlemagne leads kind of this, this area of Europe and, and out of what we would call the Dark Ages, like not a light didn't switch on or anything like that, but, but it was, he was a, what we would call the father of the Carolingian Renaissance, right? He, he brings Europe out of this place and it begins to unify a section of Europe like it hasn't been unified before, right? You don't get a name like Charles the Great without doing something pretty spectacular, right? Uh, he was crowned um, in, in Aachen in 800 by the Pope. It kind of ushers in this thing called the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire. And he's a remarkable man, right? Not just 
as far as leadership. Even today in Europe, there's, a, there's an award called the Charlemagne Award. It's for the guy who does the most for bringing unity in Europe. Uh, but Charlemagne, he, not only does he, he bring this stuff in, and by many accounts, Charlemagne himself is illiterate. He can't read or write. Um, but he raises up his household to read and write and to be people of learning. This includes the girls, which in 800, educating women was not a top priority, wasn't really even thought of, right? He was a pretty decent guy. Let me read you this quote by this guy named, this guy named Einhardt, um, who was uh, part of his court. It says, Charles was by nature most ready to contract friendships and not only made friends easily, but clung to them persistently. He was so careful of the training of his sons and daughters that he never took meals without them uh, and when he was home and never made a journey without them. So he would take his kids along on, on some of these campaigns and some of these other things, but he would have meals with them while he's here. Here's the king. Here's the king. And he won't neglect his children. He does this also with his people, right? Again, this Carolingian Renaissance ushers in learning and art and all these other things, and it proves the lives of people, okay? He's a father to these people. Even though he himself is not a man of learning, he wants his people to have a better life than what was ahead. That's fatherly, right? Uh, Let's see here. But Charlemagne was a man, right? He was impermanent. He passed away. You know, he ends up having, uh, he has a number of children, so let's not model his, that part of our lives after his life. He was, <laughs> some things were questionable. Um, but his grandchildren, by the time that they are grown and become men, it descends into civil war. And this is where you end up starting to have the breakup of what, and, and what would end up becoming like France and Germany and the low countries and those areas. All these civil wars that are taking place because of the inconsistency in the bloodline, right? It's not passed down because he's a human being. Charlemagne was human. His sons were human. His grandsons were human. They died too. Europe is further fractured by that. And so why I'm telling you all this history, because again, you go to lunch today and it's like, oh, we got kind of a history lesson? That was kind of a weird thing out of Isaiah 9-6. You know, where's this guy, what's this guy talking about? I'm trying to juxtapose the, the idea of an earthly king who has a bloodline and has a legitimate claim to a throne that's been set up and is supposed to be a father to his people as inconsistent and impermanent. But there is a king that God has given us, an everlasting father who is permanent, who is consistent. I mean, look at Jesus' character. It doesn't change, right? He is the same as we see him in the Gospels. He is always kind. He is always merciful. He is always caring. He's always strong. He cares for his people. I mean, think about that, that one passage of like when he looks out and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Is a, sheriff, is, a, is a shepherd not like a father figure? Doesn't he cover and take care of his sheep? But we also have this everlasting king. Jesus is not going away. He came. He is with us now. 
And paradoxically, he will come again for us. We carry Jesus in us. We carry the king in us. But Jesus, as part of this representation of the Trinity, as we find the Trinity in the person of Jesus, is this everlasting father who cares for us, will not leave us, has our best at heart, and wants the best for us, wants us to be transformed so that our lives are better. Okay? I'm not, I'm not saying so that, we have, so that we're all happy, happy clappy all the time, right? There is a theology of suffering that, that we understand that when we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be wonderful. There's the kingdom and there's the cross, right? And they're both Jesus. And so can I have the last slide, please? And so this, this is our king. And this is a glorious picture of our king, right? Because while Charlemagne has this beautiful crown and you, know, you see crowns around the, uh, around the world, you know, this glorious crown of thorns is part of the price, right? It's part of what it cost for us, for him to cover us, to love us, so that we would find mercy, that we would find forgiveness, that we would find compassion, that all of those would be true, all of those would not be impermanent or inconsistent like us. So this King Jesus, this picture of our King Jesus, this is glorious. This is him in his glory. Because he says, this is what an everlasting father does in covering his children. He will lay down his life for his children. How many dads in here would not die for their kids? So our King Jesus, the Father King Jesus, this fatherly king, lays down his life for you and I so that we would have life, that we would never die, so that we would be permanent and consistent, right? Because this life is like this, right? Or <laughs> this is going to pass away like this, but we have the hope of eternity, right? We have the hope in a good king. We have the hope in a faithful and loyal king that will not leave us, will not be destroyed like what we read in there, right? Okay. <laughs> So if I could get the, uh, the worship team to come up, that would that'd be great. So what I'd like for you to do as we kind of land the plane here, um, I'd like for you to just take a few moments and reflect. If there's anything that I said that, that stuck with you, I'd love for you to just hang on to that and ask Jesus about it, ask the Lord about it, say, okay, what do you want to talk to me about there? If, if you have trouble with one of these ideas, with wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. If any of those are a challenge for you, I would love for you to just sit quietly for a moment and say, speak to me, God, because he is a God who talks. He will speak to you. He will. If, if, if you're struggling you know, like I, again, I, I came out of a background that I rejected God and I struggled with God because intellectually I just couldn't get there. I thought, I thought it was intellectual suicide. It's like, why would I believe that fairy tale until I had a radical encounter with God that changed the trajectory of my life? 
I couldn't get there. If you're having problems today getting there, it's okay. God's not mad at you. He's not, he's not wringing his hands going, oh God, what are they gonna do? He loves you. He cares for you. He's a good father who's not going to drop the hammer on you. He's not gonna beat you down until you come. He will let you choose things and those things might beat you down. But he's never going to do that. He's not angry. He's not angry. I think that's a message that we need to hear as the church. God's not mad. God's not mad. He loves us and he cares for us. And in that we have hope. Because I know I gravitate to the men and women who I know love me and care for me. The ones that I can feel sheltered by. Because we all need that, right? We all need that but I can come under the covering of a good king, of, of an everlasting father. So I would like for you to take just a minute or two. And if you're in that place where there is real struggle, it's okay. Just like what I said at the beginning, you're welcome here. You're okay here. You're safe here. Jesus is here. So take this moment and just ask and reflect. And I'll pray for you in just a second.